Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is July the 10th, 2019, episode 2467 today, and it's Wednesday, it's interview day. We have Kevin Estrella, really cool dude, man. Um, he's got a survival training school. Uh, he's been in the industry a long time, he's had a lot of really great training, run a lot of really great classes, focuses on the wilderness bushcraft kind of pioneering uh, aspects of survivalism. Good to have him on because we don't talk about that a tremendous amount here, uh, probably not as much as we should. So it'll be a good interview today. Uh, he's got a new book out called 101 Skills You Need to Survive in the Woods. We'll be talking about that as well. And we'll have him on in just a minute. Before we do, I want to remind you guys, I have... A get-together going on Saturday. It's not a workshop, really. We're going to do a little bit of work first thing in the morning. About 10 o'clock is when I think I'm going to have people show up. I need to get some uh, shade cloth up on my aviary. That's about 15 minutes of work, and we might pull a couple uh, grow beds off my small garden pond. Uh, that's that's 30 minutes of work. If we uh, There's three I want to get off there. If we get one in 30 minutes, it's one. If it's three in 30 minutes, it's three. If it's half... It's a half. I'm not working people in this July heat in Texas. Just not doing it. This is really a hangout barbecue pool party. Uh, cost to come is $0. Kids are welcome as long as you supervise your children. That is important. We have had events with kids here that were great, and we've had ones that were not so great with kids chasing ducks and throwing things and upsetting the dogs and breaking things. And I, 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 I dealt with it once. I won't deal with it again. Uh, if it happens, whoever is responsible for that child will be leaving with them. I'm just saying that. So you know your kids and how to handle them, and you know whether they can come or not. Um, but it should be fun. We're going to be making barbecue ribs, uh, some, probably some cowboy beans and some other stuff, some good uh, adult beverages and non-adult beverages for those who don't want to imbibe. And I think we're up to about eight folks coming now. And uh, so it should be fun and a good chance to meet some new people or maybe meet some people you've met before. Uh, Dorothy and I are doing these type of things uh, to try to just give back. Uh, we were just talking that uh, TSP turned 11, and we didn't really talk about it. On June 20th this year, TSP is 11 years. I've been full-time almost 10, so for about a decade, you guys have been supporting me in this incredible life I get to live, and I appreciate it, so I try to open my home from time to time. Uh, this is a short-notice one, so it's really mostly for local people, but... Uh, Try to do things like this and, and just to say thanks and to give the opportunity for people here in our community, uh, local community, to get together and get to know each other. So if you want to do that, you email me. That's how, There's no official registration for this. Just email me, jack at the com. If you hear back, then you're in. If you don't hear back, you need to try to get in with me some other way. It means something's wrong with email. Uh, I probably it's going to be tomorrow, Thursday, that I'm going to say we're done uh, taking people that want to come. Uh, because I need to get food and all that stuff ready, so I need to know my head count. Um, so you got today and tomorrow to do that. Again, TSPC, hang out in the subject line, and uh, let me know who you are, and if it's you and a you know you by yourself, or you with a spouse, or you with a kid, just so I have a head count, and uh, I'll get back to you. Those who I've already gotten back to, uh, I will give you full, full details, which isn't going to be much, except how to get here and if you want to bring anything. Uh, probably Thursday afternoon I'll, I'll send that email because I can do it once and be done with it. All right, before we get Kevin on, let's go ahead and talk about our two sponsors today. Sponsor day number one today is Western Botanicals. 
Uh, Western Botanicals has been with us almost as long as we've had sponsors, so in like nine and a half years or something like that. Um, and I was really glad to bring them on because the world of herbalism is, is fascinating. Uh, I am a big believer in herbs and what they can do, but I don't believe in snake oil, and they are a real company with real people that really care, that keep things real and do not make hype claims. If it's legal and it's herbal, you'll probably find it on their website at westernbotanicals.com. Uh, and it will either be organically grown or wild-crafted. So you know you're getting good stuff. Um, and if you need help and you call them, their customer service is exceptional, and they give away their discount membership program. That costs other people 50 bucks, 25% off everything once you have that membership. Uh, you get that for free as an MSB member. So it's just awesome. Check them out today, westernbotanicals.com. Next up today, Bulk Ammo. I bet 95 out of 100 people listen to this show own firearms. I bet it's that high. I really do. But you know what a firearm is with, with without without ammunition? It's kind of an arm. It's not really a firearm anymore. It's a club. It can't do what a, what a gun is supposed to do. It can't put meat on the table. You can't effectively train with it, practice with it, or, or, or just enjoy it for plinking. Uh, you can't defend your family. You can't defend your property. It just doesn't do anything the gun's supposed to do when it's empty. Uh, ammunition is important. That's why it, it dries up even faster than, than guns themselves when there's talk of new gun control legislation. Now, the thing about buying ammunition is you got to go somewhere and deal with people and do they have it in stock and how much. It, you, you go to bulkammo.com and they have everything you could be looking for. They have great pricing and they'll ship it to you so fast you, there's no reason to leave the house to get your ammo. Check them out today, BulkAmmo.com, and they do do a discount for members of the MSB as well. With that, let's go ahead and welcome our special guest today. Again, his name is Kevin Estrella. His new book is called 101 Skills You Need to Survive in the Woods. We're here to talk about that and more. And with that, hey, Kevin, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Jack. I really appreciate you uh, having me on. It's awesome. I, I was happy to see your, uh, your guest request form come through, and the topic I think is going to be awesome. We're going to be talking about 101 skills you need to survive in the woods today. Maybe not all 101 of them, but we're going to talk about them in your new book with the same title. Before we do that, though, I like to get the audience to kind of get in touch with the guests, like know who, who Kevin is, right? So let's go back to your Space Mountain Study Hall. It's like 11th grade or something. You're trying to get the courage up to ask some girl next to you out or, or something like that. And then you got to go off and live your life, graduate school. What do you do between then and the time now that you're doing all the cool things you're doing? Like, what leads you to being an instructor in wilderness bushcraft? Okay, so growing up as a kid, I always wanted to, to get out in the outdoors. You know, my dad was a great inspiration, or is a great inspiration. He uh, he grew up in the Philippines during World War II. So my entire adolescence and teen years was me, you know, trying to emulate my father, doing things with, with him, hiking, fishing, backpacking, stuff like that. Um, and in high school, you know, I was the, the founder of the outdoors club. So I brought a lot of people to, uh, indoor rock climbing gyms and canoeing. And about that time, that's when I started, uh, teaching and instructing canoeing and kayaking, um, and guiding out on the Farmington River here in Connecticut. So over the years, you know, through there, I was able to kind of expand, do some bushcraft and some survival skills with some of the kids classes and, you know, kind of get out there a little bit more other than just being on the river and, and in a boat. Uh, started working at Eastern Mountain Sports as a uh, sales associate, which opened my eyes to a lot of gear. And, you know, the we had access to the climbing school. So I went and I did some ice climbing lessons at the up in New Hampshire. And then somewhere around like 2005, I was like, you know, I want to formalize my outdoors education and kind of see if 
what I've been doing all these years is actually correct. So started training with the main primitive skills school and then Jack Mountain Bushcraft. Eventually landed at the Wilderness Learning Center in upstate New York on, in Chattagay uh, on the U.S.-Canada border. And I taught there from 2007 to 2012, started my company in 2011, been writing magazines ever since, and, you know, it's the, the rest is history. Awesome, man. Well, you know, we have uh, we've been around since 2008 here, and like you, you've probably noticed, as I have, that the survival industry, the prepper industry, all of the things that are kind of related to this niche, homesteading, have all been on kind of a boom cycle. I guess maybe it's not quite the boom cycle it was around 2012 when the Mayans were going to rise from the grave and eat us all or something, but it is a very active and growing uh, industry. I imagine, like me, being involved for so many years, you probably have some things you're not quite happy with the industry as a whole, some pet peeves within the industry. Uh, any thoughts on that? Oh, there's definitely there's definitely things that get under my skin. Uh, number one are when uh, someone gets featured as a survival celebrity on a TV show or uh, you know somehow in, in pop culture, and the next you know they become an expert on everything with very little in their their resume. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I firmly believe you should you should work to the point where uh, you don't have to introduce yourself anymore, where people will know your name through the works that you do, through the the deeds that you've done. So uh, I don't like it when there are people that just emerge on the scene and they start. Uh, you know, running their mouths in terms of, oh, I've done this better than this guy who's been around for decades. You know? Yeah. Uh, so that's something that drives me nuts. And then I also don't like the silver bullet. You know, the idea that, oh, if you just train this one thing, you're going to be ready for everything. That's just not the reality. You have to cross train. You have to diversify as much as possible. Um, and that'll give you the best shot. But I would never say that anyone is, is always 100% ready. Um, just because there are always variables that could, that could change your level of readiness at any time. I think one of the things that bothers me the most is the constant invocation of the term survival situation. Um, I look at survival situation as, well, you probably screwed something up then, right? Like, so, like, if you are well prepared, uh, there are things, if you're on an airplane that crashes or, you know, something like that or stranded in the road. But in general, um, if you're coming at this from the right mindset, It's great. I'll put it this way. Like you do a lot of uh, wilderness skills and it's great to know how to make a friction fire. But if you're down to having to do that, not because you're developing a skill and want to have it or you want to test yourself, you're down to where you have to do that. Then you got separated from your gear. And I think a lot of the stuff you're talking about, like the TV shows and stuff like that, they go out of their way to emphasize survival situation rather than preparedness. So the situation is inconvenient versus a survival situation, if that makes sense. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, you always hear people say, oh, uh, any plan is better than no plan at all. Well, you could have a plan to die or you could have a plan. <laughs> you know, and I, I can't stand that. I'd rather have the best plan, you know, given my, my scenario and my, my circumstances and gear than, uh, than just saying, well, I'll just have any plan, you know, and, and that's just another pet peeve. But, uh, yeah, I would say, you know, people, they, you know, those that truly prepare and, and make themselves more ready every single day, we, we put ourselves in a bubble where we'll never have to experience that survival situation. Maybe an emergency in the short term, but if you're ready with the correct gear and mindset and training, then your emergency will never never extend into a survival situation. Absolutely, man. I, see, that that's kind of where I'm coming from, too. Now, you have this new book. It's called 101 Skills You Need to Survive in the Woods. There's been a industry of books on this thing going back to you know books from the early 1900s even 1890s i found books that 
that I've added to my library that are on this subject. What makes your book different than all the other books that are in this sector, this space? Uh, something that I really wanted to stress that makes my book different is the the mindset component. Um, you know, there are so many survival books that are in my own personal library that are very short on mindset because willingness is probably one of the hardest things to teach a person. Um, but, you know, one thing that you'll find in my book is that the section on survival psychology is one that is uh, it's not it's not edited. It's it's definitely an extended uh, chapter because I want people to realize that if you have the correct mindset, then you can apply that to using any gear to get out of an emergency. Um, something that I also tell people is that my book can be read at any skill level, and there's always something new to read every time that you open it up from a, a new set of eyes uh, based on your experience or or your growing knowledge. So uh, my book is, is definitely one that I, I always say I stand on the, the shoulders of giants. You know, there are some great guys that came before me, but mine is really meant for, for be, you know, learning and and sharing the knowledge with, with people around you. Cool, man. So what are some daily habits people should adapt from reading your book? I mean, if you're going to talk about mindset, then really mindset is bigger than, oh, so I'm going to go hike on this trail or whatever, so now I'm going to be prepared. Like, if you're talking about mindset, you're talking about the way a person lives their daily life, whether they're in the woods or not. So what are some of the things that maybe a person needs to be adapting from this mindset uh, stance to live a more prepared life. So one of the things that, that drives me nuts is when people say that they are, uh, you know, they carry a, a survival kit, but then you look at their survival kit and the logic behind what they've chosen to put in their survival kit or their emergency kit is grounded in either Hollywood or fantasy, as opposed to what could really truly, you know, do us in. And if you look at the number one cause of death in this country, uh, it's going to be something health-related. So I think one of the first elements of mindset is being honest with yourself and asking, hey, am I truly healthy? And Am I carrying uh, the correct medication on me if I have a heart condition or uh, if I have asthma to keep me breathing? You know, So I think that's part of it is being honest with yourself and saying, what is a realistic assessment of what I could face when I walk out the door? I mean, I don't leave my house without a Swiss Army knife in my pocket and a, and a lighter in the other pocket because I know the value of having a tool like that. But that's not the extent of my, my training. Uh, that's not the extent of what I want to carry. Um, every day I leave my house with a tourniquet because I know that in addition to the threats of, say, like active shooters, uh, there's a very high likelihood I can get into a car accident. So I know the value of having that on me. So the mindset component is really important for people to to be honest with themselves, really look at their situation and say, what do I need to have on me and how do I train to best address those scenarios? I'd say avoidance is probably a big thing, too. Um, I'm actually working on a book of my own right now called 30 Laws of Life, and some of them are you know, mine that I've written uh, from the chapters of my own life. And some are things that everybody knows or somebody else said that I've adapted. And, and one that fits in that model is don't do stupid things in stupid places with stupid people. And, and I find that a lot of times when you read about a, you know, again, a quote-unquote survival situation, there was something stupid that was done by by some stupid person or some group of stupid people that had it not been done, either the situation itself would have been avoided or the situation itself would have been heavily mitigated and not quite as severe as it ended up being. So I think that mindset also has to incorporate, like, here's all the things you do to be prepared, and here's the things that you need to think about that you, you don't do, if that makes sense. 
Right, right. And that's what survival really is. It's risk mitigation. You know, you, you take the appropriate precautions to avoid putting yourself into a bad situation, which runs completely counter to a lot of the, the popular TV shows out there where they're throwing a person into a scenario um, and they're taking risks just for the sake of entertainment or ratings. Yeah, yeah. That's I, I, I think we are in, uh, in lockstep on our hatred of, I guess what I call <laughs> non-reality TV. And I mean, it, yes, it, it, I take particular interest in my you know, despising of what they do in our niche, but pretty much I see the same thing across the board from TVs about looking for a ha- shows about looking for a house to prepper shows to you know, wilderness shows, like all of it seems that it's geared toward uh, the lowest common denominator, and it seems like the goal of media is to drag that denominator lower and lower and lower all the time. Um, but, you know, along with those habits, um, and, and we're, we're kind of kicking that, but there is something to it with, okay, let's take these two guys and drop them off in the middle of this jungle and tell them they have to find their way out and deal with it. And that is, I, I, I agree with you that maybe the way they do it is unnecessary risks, but if you don't go out and actually attempt to use the skills that you think you have, you haven't really tested them. So, How, how do you approach the concept of testing skills? So I believe in pressure testing, um, but like anything, I think pressure testing needs to come in increments. Uh, I think one of the components of testing is done right in the comfort of your own backyard. Uh, it's something that we used to teach at the Wilderness Learning Center. We just call it backyard testing. And it's the idea that you get a new tent, well, try it out in your backyard before you walk 10 miles down a trail with it and then set it up for the first time. Um, and the same could be said for for any type of skill, try it somewhere where there's a, a safety margin built in, you know, like where you have a warm car waiting for you or uh, a, a rewarming shelter or a group of friends that are carrying emergency equipment just in case. Um, I think it's really important to take your testing vertical, uh, not just seeing how broad your knowledge is, but how in-depth your knowledge is. So that's something that, um, you know, I do agree with, but again, very measured and with a with an element of safety, Or else it just turns into that don't do stupid stuff that you were talking about before. <laughs> you know, yeah. Let me let me let me test my little twenty uh, two revolver against that alligator when it's right on top of me. You know, yeah. that type of. So let's see if I, I have to have a twenty two story like that 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 invokes this. I, I grew up in in uh, the swamps of Florida and the mountains of Pennsylvania, kind of split between the two. And my father grew up in central Pennsylvania, and on the twenty two thing, they found a, a mining shack. An old one from the you know the days of yore, so to speak. And they knew there'd be dynamite in there. So another stupid thing was to get the dynamite and play with it. But they decided they wanted to get the lock off the shed. Well, they both had a .22. And this guy John Slith goes with my dad. Uh, says we shoot the lock off. And the old man's like, look, well, he's a kid at the time, but you know, the old man of mine, and says, you know, you can't shoot that lock with a .22. And and John pulls out this uh, this weird looking thing and says he's got a super .22. And I don't know if you're familiar with 22 dust shot, but the old dust shot was basically a longer brass case that was crimped. So he had uncrimped it, pulled the slug out of a regular 22 long rifle, dumped the powder of three of them in there, <laughs> and crammed a bullet into it. So my dad realizes he's going to do this and uh, can't stop him. So he just hauls ass and I don't want to be around it. And said it sounded like 06 going off and end up, The guy ended up with powder burns all over his hands and face. So yeah, that stupidity uh, is is and, and and that can be you know 
I think it can easily transcribe over into to our world where people do these dumb things. And worse, like, okay, that was a stupid kid in the 60s, like 50s, I guess, doing a stupid kid thing. But I think grown-ass men tend to do this, too. Because then they, they justify it with, well, I was testing my skills or something like that. So, yeah, I, I would agree. There has to be some some common sense with this. Like, if, if, if you're going to test your skills with snake handling, you, you'd probably be better off to do that with a rat snake. And if you get bit, nah, then to test your skills with a rattler. And I think some people are out there doing that. Um, you have actually quite a list of people that that you know don't fall in this category we're beating up on here. Really great people that have endorsed this book, um, and, and a pretty broad appeal at that. Why do you think your books had this really universal appeal across the board? Well, I mean, over the years, I've I've been very diplomatic with the way that I approach survival skills. You know, I, I generally try to be as honest as I can be and uh, as fair as I can be in terms of assessing someone or assessing their ability and, and just talking to them candidly. Um, and over the years, I've had some great experiences, you know, like I said, with, with main primitive skills school, you know, I never burnt a bridge with them. Uh, with uh, my friends, uh, Joel Lambert and Kyle DeFore uh, through SIOC, uh, both of them are former SEALs. Uh, those are great guys that I've, I've worked with and, you know, they've respected the things that I've done. And obviously I respect what they've done for this country. Um, you know, I have folks on the, on the inside and in the back of the book, uh, from various organizations that again, I've just worked with them and they, they see what I do and they see how I do it. And they see, I'm not just some like whack job throwing out a bunch of information. <laughs> uh, and I, and I think they also just recognize that there's, there's more to me than just, uh, just providing information, they being multifaceted. So um, I, I'm just very, very blessed, very lucky to have uh, very good people endorsing the book um, just because, you know, there are sometimes survival instructors that are going to appeal to, say, like the primitive crowd, or there are going to be survival instructors that are going to appeal to, like, the military, you know, escape and evasion seer crowd or, you know, to the modern REI camper type of thing with backpacking as, like, the heart of what they do. But um, you know, to be able to say that I have, you know, friends like Tony Nestor and Patrick Rollins and all these guys backing me, uh, I, I, I couldn't be any more thankful. Like it's, it's really incredible. Now your book is 101 skills you need to survive in the woods. I'm sure some of them are skills that are, are fairly universal. I mean, cause what you're talking about here, and, and I'm glad you brought that up is so some people are more interested in kind of the, the, the military paramilitary standpoint. Some are, backpackers, some maybe are hunters, and I want to talk about, to you about hunting in a, in a bit because I know you've done quite a bit of that as well. But in the end, like the skills that you need don't really have anything to do with why you need them, I, I guess, is, is the way to look at it in, in the end. So we talk about, for instance, with general preparedness, we talk about disaster commonality. If you don't have power to your house because there was an earthquake or you don't have power to your house because... Uh, there was a global EMP, which I think is highly unlikely, but okay, fine. Or you don't have power to your house because a tornado ripped out the power substation down the road, or you don't have power because it was a hurricane, or you don't have power because of whatever. It doesn't matter. What matters is you don't have power. So if you're lost and cold and alone in the woods, you know maybe it has something to do with you getting rescued, but it doesn't matter if it's because you were on a Boy Scout excursion that went wrong, or because you were in a vehicle that went off the road and you don't know where you are now. Like, the, the the lack of systems of support, that's the actual problem. 
So there's a, a commonality there that these skills would address, and I think that's what you're talking about. But can we actually talk maybe about a few of these skills and sure. why they're important for people to understand them with that kind of context. Like it doesn't matter why you're cold or wet or hungry uh, or lost. It matters that you are. Yeah, and there are, there are absolutely some skills that, I mean, we could tie it right back to that universal rule of threes. Right. I mean, there's, you have to have, uh, oxygenated blood going through your, your body. Um, you know, every, uh, I'm sorry, you, you can't last more than three minutes without oxygenated blood going through your body. You can't more than last more than three, uh, hours, uh, exposed to the elements, right. And then three days without water and three weeks without food. And, and like you said, it didn't matter how you got there, whether it was a car wreck or, you know, you getting some type of mechanical injury and you're, and you are kind of, confined to just staying in a general area because you can't move. Yeah, those, those are the general, um, those are the general needs. And I think a lot of these skills are going to go back to that. And here's the thing, as a writer, as an author, I can't predict when a person is going to need these skills. Um, but if you, the more you know, the less you have to carry. And, you know, our old motto that we had at the Wilderness Learning Center was always prepared and then prepared always. Mm. And if you were, if you were prepared or if you were ready and you could do things when it was, you know, in training that were very difficult, then if it became your reality, you could just say, well, I've already done this before. <laughs> you know, you could <laughs> fall back on that confidence. Um, you know, and there's that old maxim, train hard, fight easy. So we want people to, uh, or I want people to, uh, you know, read the book and say, wow, if that ever happened to me, I read about this once, I could probably do it now. Got you. So can we maybe talk about specifically, though, some of the skills that are in the book and, and how they apply to the average person's need to be prepared? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, I've got a copy right here in front of me. So, I mean, I'll just I'll just go through a handful. And, uh, you know, a few of them are like cooking with fire. Right. I mean, a lot of people, <laughs> they, they think, oh, I'm just going to, you know, cook with fire and, you know, I'm going to I'm going to make my meal over the fire. And it's like, well, OK, are you cooking with fire? Or are you cooking with the heat? You know, and I've seen plenty of people on courses burn their food because they're cooking with the fire instead of the heat that it generates. Um, sheltering skills, you know, something that, uh, that that I mentioned in the book is, you know, the ability to make a, a shelter with a poncho in under 60 seconds. So I've actually had to do this on, on advanced courses with the Wilderness Learning Center. I've done it on camping trips uh, where, you know, we've been out by a river and we just need to, to drop and make a quick shelter. So, I mean, that's the type of thing that's, that's important. Uh, knife skills. I'm half Filipino. So, you know, I'm going to tell people that they need to know how to use a knife. And that doesn't matter if you're a commercial fisherman, you know, working, uh, the cleaning detail on the back of a boat, or if you're just a casual whittler on your front porch, you know, it's important to know how to use knives. Um, you know, there's all sorts of other stuff in, in this book that I, I really would impress upon people to, to learn how to apply a tourniquet. So you could be a logger and have a chainsaw accident. You could get into that car accident, know how to put on a tourniquet. Um, you know, the list goes on and on and on. It, you, that's one of the reasons why I think it's it's got a pretty high rating right now is because people are finding ways that these individual skills could relate to them. Got you. So it sounds like you've had a, a lot of training, and I'm sure that whether it was because someone wrong or just because you were testing yourself to the extreme – uh, you've probably been pushed to like a near a breaking point where you just want to quit. And I think that mindset, and you've kind of invoked that word already, is so important. So how does a person get the mindset? How, how do you personally get past that point 
Because you're talking about survival here. So, you know, quitting's not an option. Like the number one rule of survival, don't be dead tomorrow, right? So how does a person break through that mental wall uh, where they want to give up? I think something that is so important for people to remember is to remember their worth. Uh, you know, one of the, the reasons why people die is because they, they feel like they have no worth. They have no value. They've lost value. Or, you know, one of the reasons why they, they kind of give up is because they feel a, a sense of shame. Like, oh my God, my family is going to hate me for getting lost. It's like, no, your family is going to love you when you get back and they'll look, they'll look past the, the fact that you, uh, didn't stick to your, your plan of where you're going. Um, so I think it's really important for people to remember their worth and something as simple as carrying photos, uh, in your wallet and getting away from carrying all your photos on your phone will, kind of keep you connected to who you are and, and who's waiting for you back home. Um, you know, carry photos of your kids or carry photos of your parents or your dog or, or maybe carry photos of the house that you want someday. So you can kind of tell yourself, I need to get back so I can get that house or, or hug my wife or my girlfriend or, or what have you. Um, I think that's really important is remember your worth. Um, but then also build confidence through little victories. You know, you don't have to be an expert with the bow drill. You don't have to be an expert with, with a firearm, you know, if you're a hunter, but get better than you were yesterday, right? And, and set standards for yourself and, and push yourself to become better every single day. Um, you know, you're not going to achieve greatness overnight, but you can work towards it every single day. So I'm on your website right now, kevinestrella.com, and I'm looking at some of the courses you offer. Like you have a survival foundations course, an advanced course, uh, primitive projectiles, right? Uh, emerging over, uh, emergency overnight uh, course, uh, and a few others. Can you maybe talk people through, like, what, what would a person that went to your school uh, actually experience? And let's start out with the, the foundations course. What, what is that like for a student? So believe it or not, the, a lot of those courses, um, they've actually morphed over time. So that kind of gives people like a general idea of what to expect. Um, what I've noticed is that more and more people are less willing to spend money on, on quality training and they're also less willing to invest a significant amount of time. So that foundations course was upwards of five days, five to seven days. And there just weren't a lot of people that were willing to to take time off to travel one day ahead of time, train for five days, and then travel one day back, um, be, especially with limited vacation time. So what I've been really focusing on, and it's been incredibly successful and a lot of fun, are these 72-hour courses, you know, where people show up on a Friday and they leave on a Sunday. So the budget bushcraft class, which I believe is on my website, it's only $99. And students provide all their own meals, and I do all the instruction. And I've had students take it multiple times saying they simply cannot absorb all the information that's put out by myself and my, uh, you know, my cadre of instructors. And they say, this is just unbelievable that it's only $99. And I tell them, look, you know, you, you can get quality information out there and you don't have to pay someone just because of their name, you know, focus on the reputation that they have as an instructor and then take that money and invest it in the gear that you actually need to, to get more ready. Um, so budget bushcraft is a, a very inexpensive bushcraft class. Primitive projectiles is one that it's the class that you would want to take if you were a little kid all over again. You know, you go in the backyard and you want to build a bow and arrow or an atlatl and you don't know how. Well, as an adult, you find out how to make a staff sling, a woomera, you know, all sorts of stuff. Uh, and then the emergency overnight class, that one, depending on the weather, could be a, 
a very mild-mannered class or a uh, winter class, uh, depending on when we run it. And in, sometimes those classes tend to mimic reality a little too much in that, you know, when the when the weather comes down and, you know, we have a, a bunch of snow on the ground, then we really do need to apply what we're practicing to get vehicles out of, you know, remote wooded areas and whatnot. So I think one of the things that an instructor gets that most people never will is that they get to see a incredibly broad swath of humanity come through courses over the years. I'm sure you've had people come in that are anything from prior service military that, that maybe could teach you a thing or two to uh, people that were accountants that maybe it was the first time they slept in the woods overnight. Uh, and that gives you an insight into what misconceptions people have. I'm sure when you, somebody does like the budget course or whatever you tell them, I'm, I'm reading it right here, you tell them this is the stuff you should bring. What are the biggest like misconceptions and things that you see people show up when they're showing up for this and they're ill-prepared, like they don't have or they expect and they don't get it or, or, or things like that? What's really interesting is when you see people show up with a, an item that they spent a lot of money on and then you could tell that they skimped on the rest of everything else. Hmm. So say like from a hunting background, it's like a guy that buys a $1,000 deer rifle and then buys the $50 three to nine optic from Tasco, a big box. right? Or, yeah, yeah. Tasco or Bushnell, you know, nothing against those companies for beginners, but yeah. you're spending a thousand dollars, you know, spend a little bit more on your optic. Yeah. Uh, so I see people that will show up with like high end knives that have no scratches on them or any signs of use. And then they'll show up with a, a very inexpensive compass that I, I wouldn't trust my life to the, the, plastic, it's the plastic $6 one from the Walmart camping aisle Yeah, that they yeah, bought on the way. Like when they got off the airplane and they were coming to meet you, they stopped at Walmart and they bought it. Yeah. Still <laughs> in the packaging, you know, still in the packaging and you know, they they're reading through the instruction manual as the class is going on. Um, so that's the type of thing that that's kind of interesting is, you know, you tell people or I tell people like when you're, when you're buying gear, think about what your budget is and then think about what you have to allot to each of the, the different needs, right? You know, for your, how much money do you realistically need to spend on a flashlight? How much money do you realistically need to spend on a shelter component? And you just tell people to break it down and then look at what's, what's left over and, you know, don't skimp, you know, buy quality because you only cry once. Um, so that's something that I see frequently. I also see it when people, uh, will show up to a class and, they, they show up and they're dressed like their favorite survival, you know, icon throughout history or in the present day, you know, and you could tell that they, they'll, they'll say, oh, I've never had any training or anything, but they've read all the person's books or shows or, or whatever. And they kind of want to look like the amateur and then come off as the hero. And it's like, check your ego at the door. You know, we're all here to learn from each other. And, you know, not everyone's going to get a participation trophy here, um, but there's no awards just because, you know, you look the coolest. So, uh, yeah, there, there's a lot there's a lot of funny stuff that I've seen over the years. But uh, what's really cool is when I, I tell people, I'm like, you know, students show up as strangers and they leave as friends. And a lot of them that have come to classes have kept in contact with each other and they've gone on hiking trips or family vacations together. And it's just awesome to know that they're in that survival community together. So you mentioned that your students for like the, the weekend course, you know, they should bring their own food. I think that's great. Uh, as somebody that feeds people at workshops, it's a, it's a big part of what we do. It's a lot of work. Um, on, on that note, though, if somebody's going to go to your course, anybody's course, maybe do this in themselves, uh, a, a word on food because a lot of people think, well, I'm going to forage or I'm going to, you know, trap or whatever. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes it's, you know, legal. 
and sometimes it's not. Things that are illegal, when you're actually lost, you might do them, but you probably shouldn't in a state park where you can, you know, get a different kind of survival training at the local clink. So what what type of food makes the most sense in this type of situation? And maybe, you know, we used to call uh, some of the inappropriate things people brought in the military pogey bait, like maybe what's some of the stuff that isn't? So uh, I like telling my students to, to bring food that's easy to prepare, right? Because even though I, I have students prepare their own meals uh, to keep the, the cost down of the instruction, I also tell them, like, you don't want to waste time cooking, you know, choke down some calories. Uh, don't treat your food emotionally. Right, treat it as what it is, and get something that will fill you up quickly. That's easy to prepare. So there are students that'll bring MREs. There are students that'll bring Mountain House meals that just require boiling water. Uh, some students will show up with a, a bunch of pre-made sandwiches and and things that they get at like the local convenience store, and that's cool too. Um, what usually happens, there's always someone who's willing to share what they brought with the next person, uh, which isn't expected, but it always happens. And, you know, those are the, the meals that make the most sense. If a person's trying to, you know, cook open, uh, cook over the open fire and it's like, okay, yeah, you could do that, but how much time do you really want to spend preparing your food, basting it, you know, and with the instructions going to keep going, whether you're, you're cooking or not, because I can't hold up the class for, for one person if there were 10 that are already, you know, good to go and ready to, to learn again. So I would say quick, easy meals make the most sense and those that, uh, you can, you know, eat while you're taking a working lunch. What, what, what are your thoughts on like foraging and, and what you teach or train about that? I know it, it's one of the things that I think is maybe overemphasized with the typical survival situation. One of the things you do try to teach people is like, it's great to have food, but it's kind of your last need, you know, in the rule of threes for a reason. Um, but I do think there is maybe a misconception of what can be done. And I think, um, geography and time have a lot to do with it. I've often said, like, I spent a lot of time in the Army in Panama. You drop me off in the Panamanian jungle, if I'm decently equipped, leave me there a week, you come back, I'll gain weight. I mean, there is so much to eat. Um, he, around here, where I live in north-central Texas, springtime, I can walk through my property and forage wild plants and, and fill up. Right now, it's July, uh, everything's brown. <laughs> everything's dead. You know I mean? So, like, the, 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 what's available to someone as a forager or a trapper is really highly dependent on where you are and when you're there. Oh, absolutely correct. Um, you know, foraging is is definitely a, a great survival skill. Um, my mentor, Marty Simon, he's one of the foremost plant experts in the entire country. And, you know, Marty knows hundreds, probably close to a thousand edible medicinal, some plants that are not even anything other than just, you know, garbage plants that are ornamental. Um, and it's a lot of work. Uh, you're not going to get the same calories out of foraging that you're going to get from eating, you know, condensed calories that are found in fat. Um, you know, there are some plants that offer some really interesting carbohydrates, you know, some, some complex carbohydrates, um, like cattail is one of them or Indian potato or potato is another, but you're not going to find them in every single area. Um, like those are very water dependent. So I think, Foraging is a great skill to have. Carrying extra food is obviously really a, a smart idea. Carrying the tools on you, uh, whether they're hunting implements, fishing implements, trapping implements, then having the knowledge of how to use them correctly, that's very, very important. Um, you know, I just I just think that there's this illusion that people have because they've read these books like My Side of the Mountain or, you know, you, you have a, 
a peregrine falcon that you train and it's going to be so easy, but <laughs> you know, I, and listen, I not, I knock a lot of shows out there, but yeah. probably my favorite in terms of the misery of not eating is that show alone. And yeah. I think it's just fascinating to study how people's minds just, they, they, they perseverate on food because we're, we're creatures of habit. And if we're not eating, we get cranky. And if we're cranky, then things happen to us. Like we, we lose concentration and focus. So yeah, I think, uh, I think foraging is a great skill, but, um, you know, I think people need to understand that you're not going to get your, your three, you know, square meals a day. You're going to have to eat as you're foraging and, and, and graze constantly if you're going to try to maintain, uh, any type of, uh, weight and not suffer uh, any weight loss. And I think there is like, when it comes to this type of whole niche, there is the concept of being out in the wilderness and being stuck there. And then there's also the concept that I think is, more universal, which is being out in the universe uh, within the wilderness because you want to be there. And again, that concept of being prepared avoids a lot of catastrophe and things like that. So, I mean, I'm I'm on your site now for the the weekend course, and one of the pieces of equipment uh, that you're featuring there is is a buck saw. That's not something generally people have in their EDC, right, or their little survival kit or whatever. That's something that you've clearly kind of gone to more of a almost like a pioneering level type thing and I think that's a a, a really valid uh, component of this whole niche that there is just an incredible value to understanding how people lived before our time when you didn't just have an iPhone with a GPS app and you didn't just you know <laughs> order pizza to the campsite or whatever <coughs> and I well, the reason I'm going down that road is <coughs> excuse me I think too many people kind of get to the point of, unless you're just dropped alone half naked with a knife and that's all you got, there's no value in it. And I, I don't think that's the case at all. Yeah, there's there's definitely value in all training. There's value in, in all experiences. Um, it's just how you, you view it. It's like what conceptual lens are you are you using to, to you know, experience it? Um, you know, when I look at certain pieces of gear like the, the buck saw, you know, am I using like my builder hat, right? Am I looking at it through like a, a sense of being like a, like a builder or am I looking at the buck saw as someone who, you know, likes the idea of cutting tools, you know, because they're, they're manly, right? So, you know, it's uh, the buck saw isn't as exciting as say like a, a large, powerful machete or ax or anything like that, but it's very practical, you know, and that's the type of thing that, uh, you know, kind of comes out as you do more and more in the great outdoors, you realize, especially if you journal it, um, because scribing is so important, you know, you write down what you wish you had, what you were actually using. And then you, when you get back to home, you say, okay, well, I didn't have this. I wished I had that. And then next time you bring it out and you make your experience better and better. And next thing you know, you're not, you don't feel like you're in an emergency situation or you're behind the power curve. You feel like, wow, I've got, I got a lot of control over what's happening to me and around Absolutely. So that's actually a great segue to this question I want to ask you. It's a great book. If you could go back and add a chapter, something you left out, something you wish you would have included, what would it be? So I had a whole chapter. <laughs> I had a whole chapter that they told me to cut. Um, the original draft of that book was 101,000 words because I wasn't told how many words I should I should write. So I was like, I'll, I'm just going to shoot for 100,000 words because it seems like a nice round number. And then my editor came back to me and she said, yeah, you're going to have to cut a third of this book. And I almost had a heart attack. So I, I eventually settled on about 81 or 82,000 words, but I had to cut out this chapter that was just going to be awesome. 
Um, and I'm telling everyone right now that this chapter will be included in my second book if I'm offered the second book. And it's beyond the 101 uh, skills you need. And and by the way, 101, those are arbitrary numbers. Like I could have done 500 skills, you know, but I was limited, I was limited with, with how many I could include. So I had a section in there all about uh, driving correctly, off-road driving skills and uh, offensive and defensive driving because many people will get into an emergency because they don't know how to maintain their vehicle, keep it rolling, get it rolling, that type of thing. Um, I had a whole chapter in there about marksmanship, how to shoot a handgun and a rifle. Um, I think, but I think actually just started with just the rifle, how to shoot a rifle properly and how to train with your rifle to become more proficient from all different shooting positions. I had a section in there on how to, uh, how to maintain your gear and repair your gear because people think their gear is going to last forever until it breaks or needs repair. So I had this whole other chapter with 10 additional skill sets and ways to, to train them. And unfortunately got all, all cut out. So if anything, I would just tell people, you know, there's, if I could go back and do it all over again, there'd be more in there about transportation, about, uh, maintaining your gear or, or supporting, you know, others around you traveling in a group and things like that, traveling internationally and how those baseline 101 skills can eventually be expanded to, to so much more. Got you, man. So if people want to take one of your courses, get your book, learn more about you, what's the best resource for that? Um, through Instagram is a great way. I talk to a lot of uh, interesting people through Instagram. Uh, that's Estella Wild Ed, E-S-T-E-L-A, Wild Ed. Uh, through my website, KevinEstella.com, uh, through my Facebook page, Estella Wilderness Education um, on Facebook. And, uh, you know, people can just email me, uh, Estella Wilderness Education at gmail.com. I always reply to messages. It doesn't matter how, how crazy the messages are. Um, and if I don't know an answer, uh, I'll tell you flat out, I don't know the answer, but I'll link you to someone who does. Um, because it's not a, it's not an ego trip for me. I do it because I truly enjoy helping others learn. Um, and if I can point you in the direction of someone that can do it better than me, then the best man for the job is the right man for the job. Um, so I'd recommend that folks can reach out to me through any of those, those channels, social media, email, doesn't matter. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, Hey, uh, I really appreciate you being with us today. I'll make sure that all your social media, your website, et cetera, are in the show notes today. So if people are listening to this on their ride home in the car or something like that, uh, they can, uh, they can hook up with you without having to worry about writing this stuff down. And, uh, if they, uh, if, if you're out listening to this podcast and you, uh, you want to learn more about uh, Kevin and his work, and uh, maybe this is the future. It's not two, three days after we published it, uh, the episode today. Again, 2467, you can get by the survivalpodcast.com, look up uh, episode 2467 to get all that information. And, Kevin, with that, I really enjoyed our conversation to, uh, with you today. Uh, it's nice to talk to somebody in this industry that comes from a true uh, nuts and bolts, non-hype uh, level and uh, puts the practical skills uh, out there that people can actually acquire and learn and use in their lives. And like we said, it doesn't matter why you're cold and wet. It matters that you're cold and wet and knowing what to do about it is a big part of what we call modern survivalism around here. So, so thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me, and you know, God bless you, and keep doing what you're doing because I know that it's helping people out there, and that really matters. All right, great interview with a really good guy. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. Again, you can check out his book. It is called, once again, 101 Skills You Need to Survive in the Woods. 
by Kevin Estrella. I do have links in the show notes today where you can pick up that book. Links to his website, and as I said, links to his social media. Uh, remember, if you like this show and you want to support the work we do, there's two ways to do that. One's become a member of the MSB or Member Support Brigade. All you got to do to do that is go to survivalpodcast.com and click on Members. If you join, you'll get enough discounts to more than cover your membership on things you're probably going to buy anyway. And you'll be supporting the show at about 18 cents an episode. The other way is to just do your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z tspaz.com you'll see all of my Amazon reviews there you can get over and see the deals of the day on Amazon and everything else uh, that we've reviewed remember if I reviewed it uh, I own it I bought it I spent my own money on it and if I would not spend my money on it a second time if I needed another one I would not recommend it to you uh, that's the integrity I do my reviews on today's uh, item is one that it's a version of one that I carry all the time Uh, my favorite everyday carry uh, light is the Streamlight Stylus Pro. It's a very small, narrow uh, pen-style light. It makes a pretty good little Cubiton. It's reliable, and it uses standard batteries. That's very important with me. I don't like CR123s. I'll get to why in a minute. Uh, I like AA's and AAA's. That's, that's what I like to rely on for an everyday-use item. Um, but when I reviewed it, the uh, the Stylus Pro in the past at one time, Nicole Sauce, expert council member, came on and said, "I don't I don't use that. I use this one with CR123s, and the reason I do is because it's shorter." And her exact words were, "It clips inside the lame ass non pockets they put in girl jeans without risk of falling out." Well, a man cannot know everything about being a woman, and even simple things like. Jeans. I did not know that women's jeans came with lame-ass non-pockets. So I looked into, well, what does uh, Streamlight offer that fits that need? And the uh, the MicroStream is basically a very short version of the Stylus Pro that I've been carrying for oh, years and years. I've given countless ones of them away. Um, and it uses a single AAA battery. It has a, an extremely long uh, ability as far as... Uh, how long you can you you know how much light you get out of a single AAA battery? If you just turn it on and leave it on, it will run for two hours and 25 minutes nonstop on a single battery. It has a 28 lumen uh, light power and a beam distance of about 52 meters. For a little light, it's awesome. Can the stuff with the CR123 get you a little more runtime and a little more power? Yes. Um, And, and that there's, if that's what you really want, that's fine. But this is the way I look at it. There are double A's and triple A's everywhere. If you would think of, of batteries like shotgun shells, double A's and triple A's are kind of like 20 gauge and 12 gauge. And I think it's almost more like two different types of 12, like two and three quarter and three inch 12 gauge. Like you can always find 12 gauge and you can always find double A AA and triple A everywhere. You can go out and rob lights out of out of little lawn ornament lights, batteries out of them, and you have double A's and triple A's. I bet you, if you're at home, probably even at the office, within 50 feet of where you are right now, you can get your hands on a double A AA or a triple A battery. That is a big reason. The other reason is they're rechargeable. And I have a recharger, and I have a, a bunch of uh, end loop double A's and triple A's. 
So I always have chargeable batteries around for me. It just doesn't make sense uh, to use non-standardization when standardization will do the job well for you. So that's why I stick to them. In my uh, in my review, I go a little bit more in depth into that and how this this the philosophy of standardize everywhere you can and specialize only where it makes sense is is a good philosophy overall. I try in my reviews to go beyond the product and actually teach uh, modern survival lessons as well. So you can find that today on the website. If you go by the Survival Podcast and scroll down, you'll see the review for Streamlight MicroStream. Uh, and again, if you go to tspaz.com, you can find all my reviews categorically, uh, alphabetized, etc. And if it's there, I own it, I use it, I bought it, uh, or it wouldn't be there. Again, you can always support us by doing your online shopping at TSPAS. Even if you don't buy what we review, as long as you start your shopping there, you can help support us, tspaz.com. That brings us to our song of the day today. Song of the day today is by Thin Lizzy, and it's called Do Anything You Want To. And uh, this, is, uh, so, this is a week where we're doing all songs that turned 40 this year, released in 1979. So 40 years ago, this song was uh, released. And, and I'll, I'll tell you kind of how I see this song out of the songs we have this week and I, how I've always kind of saw this song um, given that it came out in 79 it's almost the farewell to this type of band and this type of music I know um, Thin Lizzy went on to release some more records and all and, and some of the other people that I would think of have as well but um, when, I, when I'm talking about is bands with the sound the overall overriding sound and type of music, let's say Thin Lizzy had, Boys Are Back in Town and, and this song, or uh, Bachman-Turner Overdrive with like You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet, Blue Oyster Cult, etc. There was a certain sound that there was a group of bands from the late 60s through the 70s that they all had this similar kind of thing going on. Doobie Brothers, I, I would put into that that group of, of, of bands. That again, they did release music, and they have done good music since, but the heyday of this sound ended, I feel like it did end in 1979. 40 years ago. Kind of sad, kind of makes you feel old, but this is a great song. The message of this song is so in line with what we talk about here on TSP all the time, though. The belief that you can't do what you really want in this world is a mental wall you've created for yourself. The they in your story, the they that are preventing you, that, that group of people may really exist, and they may not be friendly to you, and they may be putting up some level of obstacle for you. But remember what I say about lifestyle design. The more restrictions in a design, the more elegant the design, if the designer is up to his craft. And with that in mind, do anything you want to in the words of the great Finn Lizzie with that it's been Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't